Hello, and welcome to the second podcast in our series Harmony Beyond Music. It's supported by Mainland Music Foundation. And if you want to support the work of Mainland Music Foundation, please go to their website, mainlandmusicfoundation.com. My name is Peter Quantrill, and I'll be giving live introductions to the music at the Harmony Beyond Music series. And I'm joined again by Andy Pratt. We'll be talking about some of the themes in the first concert of the Harmony Beyond Music series, which takes place on the 8th of December at the World Heartbeat Hall in Embassy Gardens in Nine Elms. Andy is Professor of Cultural Economy at City University in London. Now, hello Andy. Hi, nice to be with you again. Thanks. Uh, So the first concert in the series is called Voices of Protest. And we've got music in it by Beethoven, by Pablo Casals, by the Polish composer Mieczysław Weinberg, the Czech composer Bohuslav Martinu. And it's being played by the cellist Richard Harwood and the pianist Reiko Fujisawa. Now, this is quite a diverse mix of composers, I would like to think. Uh, What do you think the term voices of protest means? I think it's the opportunity to uh, bring forth um, the diversity of opinions, um, basically. So um, that might be uh, the uh, adding meaning to the music, um, trying to uh, project some uh, social political message as well. Um, but what's interesting is the uh, way in which protest always speaks about the uh, its other, which is the normality. Mm-hmm. So it's always uh, protest in response to something. So the protest will be both in terms of when the music was composed, but also it might be about particular moments when it's performed as well. Um, and so whether they those moments of performance are in the past or in the present, they all take on particular meanings. So there's a rich variety of different forms of voices of protest in this way. Um, they are about the, both the performance and the production of, uh, of that. And they're also about speaking from inside a tradition or outside a tradition. So I think those uh, different dimensions give us uh, different ways of looking at and understanding and appreciating um, the messages of these pieces of music. Well, I love the way that I would say Beethoven, and in particular the variations on a theme from Mozart's Magic Flute, uh, encapsulate some of the ideas that you've just been talking about, where the Mozart, the where the music is at the same time embodying protest and yet normality. We think, after all, of Beethoven as being a composer of uh, ideals, of tremendous ideals of freedom, of protest against uh, control, of of protest against authority. And yet, at the same time, we definitely didn't want the entire concert, after all, to sound angry. But... That's not necessary. I love the fact that uh, although these Mozart, these Beethoven variations on a Mozart theme, they don't have any particular political meaning. But if we unpack it a bit, then we can see Beethoven 
responding to one of his favourite Mozart operas, The Magic Flute. The Magic Flute itself embodies enlightenment ideals uh, in which uh, men and women, hopefully, uh, are placed on a more equal footing. Mm. I think it's one of these things that, that about all pieces of, of music, that it's about context that really brings them alive. Yeah. Because uh, there is the obviously the narrow perspective of uh, the notes and the music itself and, there's, uh, and the, the, the harmony that is produced within that. Um, and that's a, a, a perfectly legitimate thing to think about. But also, you get this wider understanding of the way that uh, music is in conversation with its moment um, and also with other musical traditions as well. And I think, uh, as you say, in this particular case, we've had this uh, conversation between uh, Mozart and Beethoven in this way. Um, but also, there are these traditions as well, as, uh, as I'm sure you, you, know, you, you would emphasize, that uh, you know, Beethoven wasn't always within the tradition. He was battling with those traditions, and he was unpopular at times as well. Um, so popularity and, uh, and uh, what is uh, seen as the, the norm and the expectation is always something that is troubled at that boundary, mm. um, which is what gives us a lot of interest in the music and adds extra depth to it as well. Well, the, the magic flute nowadays is treated as a piece of operatic canon, and yet what is it really at root? It's the late 18th century equivalent of a musical. It's called a zingspiel. This is partly why Beethoven loves it so much, because it was devised for... Vienna's popular theatre, uh, devised by one of its most uh, commercially astute impresarios, Schikaneder. It was devised to put bums on seats. And this is, I think, partly why Beethoven adored the magic flute, because it's both sublime art and yet, at the same time, <laughs> It's entirely popular entertainment. And think that is exactly that absolutely. boundary. Yeah, and it, 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 one can articulate that boundary in a different way as well. And so that actually, you know, the, the challenges of anybody producing classical music at the moment are exactly that balance in terms of putting the bums on the seats and actually being true to a musical tradition. Mm. And it's, a, it's a, um, a challenge that we continually recognise, but also recalibrate each time because our tastes change, our audiences change. So audience expectation is also a key part of this process, I think, a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that brings me on to the Catalan cellist Pablo Casals. Uh, he's one of several composers on the programme who uh, he's one of several composers in the concert who are writing in the middle of the 20th century uh, and to give a bit of uh, context to Casals he leaves Spain when General Franco takes over and he exiles himself and he does more than that. He actually refuses to play in countries where Franco's regime is recognised. So he, for the sake of his own principles, uh, he essentially forsakes, gives up a greater part of his career because by then he's known as pretty much the world's greatest living cellist. 
but he's prepared to sacrifice all that on the strength of his political principles. Now, what does that have to do with music? Well, I think that his most famous piece, which is a very simple little piece called Song of the Birds, which people treat as a pleasant, charming little encore. It's a bit more than that, and that's why I think it's so lovely to have it in this, con in this concert, because it is a Catalan folk song, but he's arranging it outside his home country. Mm -hmm. He is himself an exile when he arranges it. Mm. And so it's a piece of tremendous feeling for a culture that he's had to leave behind. Mm. And I think it's adding the extra depth um, to it that uh, an understanding a little bit of this context really helps with. And um, in the fact that uh, um, also we're talking about uh, um, uh, Catalonia as well, in the sense that obviously there was uh, the significant uh, separatist movements within Catalonia, within Spain, is an important part of this process. As you say, linked to folk traditions and folk music as well. That's telling us another story about a particular background uh, that is uh, brought together. So it is really this weaving together a richer texture in terms of it's not just the, 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 the notes uh, that we can uh, appreciate, but also the meaning that has um, uh, been attributed to them over a period of time. Mm. That when we listen to it now, maybe we don't get such of that historical context. But at the moment, you say, if it's production um, uh, by uh, uh, an performance, um, it added so much um, to it. And I think uh, this uh, um, way in which we reinterpret pieces of music is what gives them life mm. and also speaks to us in different ways as well and, and, and means that the music can keep speaking to us rather than it being there preserved in aspect of one particular moment at one particular time. It can be re-articulated just in the same way that every performance is a slight re-articulation of what the composer originally wanted. Exactly. And that's what keeps the, 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 the living nature of, uh, of a classical music tradition, which as a canon um, is something that often is seen as something that's rather stuck mm -hmm. um, and rather uh, um, contained. Mm -hmm. But actually to give it life and breadth um, it requires it to be, have this connection. The musical culture of post-war Europe is so rich in this way because you've got Weinberg writing in Europe but then you've got all the composers who have exiled themselves away from Europe um, not just Casals but the Czech composer Martinu who went to the US just as many composers European composers did. And he writes his second cello sonata in 1946, so it's a year later than Weinberg. Um, Martinou's compositional personality is much more ebullient. And you hear that emerging in the second cello sonata alongside a sense of homesickness. And so I would like to think, again, that protest doesn't always have to sound angry, does it? No, absolutely. And I, I think what it, uh, it, it captures is telling a story of creating a narrative of 
Um, in many cases, it's about migration and movement, movement across uh, places, and particularly in this post-war period where lots of people were moving between countries, exiled uh, and uh, moving away for political reasons as well. Uh, it's really, really interesting because what you get is another admixture of uh, what we might refer to as roots and roots. So the roots as in terms of our cultural roots and the roots of migration. Yeah? So they give us a different experience and in a sense they create a new space of experience and appreciation um, that is the neither here nor there. Mm. Uh, it's about a space of experience and it's that which is really one of the things that uh, is uh, tremendously important in terms of the way that these uh, ideas develop. Um, so music doesn't just stay in one place. Mm -hmm. It's about a conversation mm. and it's about a route travelled and about the experience gained on that travel. And uh, that's why the stories that they tell are so much more interesting. Um, well, and I would definitely say that one of the most eventful routes, cultural routes travelled, or compositional routes travelled, is by the Estonian composer Arvo Pert, uh, whose piece Fratres begins our concert on the 8th of December. Now, to begin with, Pert was a, um, was a modernist, really. He, he was writing music that uh, responded in quite rebarbative terms to uh, the cultural upheavals of the first 25 years after the war that took, were taking place on both sides of the Iron Curtain. But at some point in the mid-70s, he, he stops. He has, I suppose, a kind of crisis. He has to recalibrate. And in some ways, Fratres, I would say, is a protest against the modernism of his earlier style, as well as being uh, a protest, a quite subtle protest, though, against authoritarianism. After all, fratres means brothers in, in Latin. And I think in its quiet way, because it's quite a quiet piece, it makes an appeal towards harmony, towards a consonant idea of harmony, if you like, uh, as distinct in its way as Beethoven's much shoutier appeal mm -hmm. towards the brotherhood of man when he sets uh, Schiller's Ode to Joy in the finale of the Ninth Symphony. But this, I think, is something that music has a unique power to do because he doesn't need words to do it. Yeah, I think this is really significant in terms of the way that uh, you can transpose ideas, um, whether it's uh, Schiller being transposed and putting a slightly different context, uh, or in terms of, uh, of uh, Pat, uh, responding to the, uh, the norms of the day by coming back with a different form of music, which, yep. as you say, is a very subtle form of rebellion uh, yep. in this sense. It's sort of saying, no, I'm not accepting that. Um, but, of course, you can't be censured uh, for it in the same way that if you said something explicit in words, um, and therefore music has uh, a possibility of uh, being a far more subtle form of uh, protest. Who can uh, ban a C major chord? Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for joining me, Andy. Thank you. All the pieces and
composers that Andy and I have just been talking about will be featured in the first concert in the Harmony Beyond Music series and that's taking place on the 8th of December at World Heartbeat Embassy Gardens in Nine Elms where the cellist Richard Harwood and Reiko Fujisawa will be playing and I will be giving introductions to each of the pieces and I hope to see some of you there. In the meanwhile this has been Peter Quantrill and Andy Pratt talking about Harmony Beyond Music for MainlandMusicFoundation.com. Thanks very much for watching and please join us for our next episode.